0: My name is Athena Cabenu. I'm a stand-up comedian, writer, and podcaster, and I live with two little people who are under the age of two, and their vocabulary is limited. So what I do is I invite friends around to have you know, a few more words to have a chat with. That's it. That's the concept. It's a podcast. That's a podcast, right?
1: That's a podcast. It's, you nailed it. Welcome to <laughs>
0: Keeping Athena Company, Chris Betts. It's been forever. I can't remember the last time I looked you in the eye in three
1: dimensions. I swear it might have been even like a long time before lockdown because like the last the last show I remember doing with you was I think it might have been Sunday service when it was still at Top Secret. Oh wow, yeah.
0: Oh gosh. And what happens is in comedy, um, because you're a stand up um and lots of other things, um, but um that made me sound like you're a stand up and like a mass murderer or something like lots <laughs> like, yeah. so <laughs> of other yeah, because yeah. yeah. you know, that kind of stuff get you <laughs> deported. Um <laughs> but yeah, um, you kind of like see some people for ages. I felt like I, I feel like I went through a stage of seeing you like three times a week, <laughs> every week for like two years, mm-hmm. and then we all we both kind of went to different corners of this comedy pond, and we didn't cross paths again, which is really weird.
1: Yeah, and then and then normally when you run into someone, it's over and over and over again for six months, and then you don't see him again for two years.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then you see him again, and they've got no hair. And they've done like a drastic thing, and you're like, I barely recognized you, but you look just like how I met you like years ago, which is very
1: reassuring. It's that's uh, <laughs> that's the 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 pleasure of going bald young
0: <laughs> is uh, you just look
1: like this now. There's nothing there's nothing you can yeah, do about
0: there's it. There's no there's well do you know something? My 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 other half doesn't have any hair, and I look at him and I sort of think that's quite liberating. You wake up, you shave your head, and you get on with your life. Like I've I just it's today's today's hair yeah. wash day for me. And after this call, I've got to spend forty-five minutes like retwisting my hair. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is my hair privilege talking. Like, oh, it's just so hard having hair. <laughs> it's just so hard. Um, excuse me, let me deal with this one.
1: No, it takes work. I mean, my wife has curly <laughs> hair, and she she has to the amount of work that she has to do when she does her hair. And the uh, amount of time that it takes just to untangle it, wash it, and let it retangle again is insane. Oh, it to me. is mad.
0: It's mad. So, I've got kids now too. But, I've got a two again. year old, and it's just like it's just work. I wish I wish I could pay someone to do it. Oh, you can do that, but it's lockdown, so.
1: <laughs> That's what. Yeah, those were the <laughs> days, eh?
0: <laughs> those were the days. Yeah. So how how are you? Try and condense that question into not. I'm not just asking how you are now, but how have you been there over the past like three years since I lost Louis? Oh
1: for the the two years before lockdown, um, loving it. I was literally living my dream. It was all I wanted. Uh, I was I was doing stand up on the road, and I was so happy. And, um, and then the year of lockdown has been uh, the first three months were me trying to stay productive. And so I did a bunch of things. And then I hit a wall. And then I did nothing for six months. And now I'm back uh, doing podcasts and online shows and things like that, and I feel productive again. So,
0: what did you do to feel productive when when it first started? Um,
1: I started doing. Um, I started off doing like a daily little sketch that I would that I would send out, and it was called. I called it Chris Betts's li- uh, pro life. Oh no, life pro tips, not pro life tips. It's a very different <laughs> show. Uh, <laughs> was, um, um, like, yeah, it was life pro tips, and it was just stupid things like teaching people how to juggle. And then the, they would say, like, Chris is going to teach you how to juggle. And then the thing was like. Just lie. Nobody wants to see. Just tell oh them you God. juggle. They'll believe you. Um, so it was just dumb. And then I did like a two months of topical jokes um, every weekday. Oh, wow.
0: That's hard because Trump was still president then. So all your topical jokes must have been about Trump and Brexit.
1: I purposely wouldn't talk about either unless it was something absolutely remarkable. So and it was like I gave up. Um, I sort of stopped after the George Floyd thing because it felt like a weird time to be putting right. stuff out. And then, and then I was gonna come back after a few weeks and I just, I'd just i lost the momentum and I was tired. So, uh, so I put it away, but it was a good, it was a really good exercise. I really enjoyed doing it. Was there,
0: did you, so a lot of comedians did that, like kind of, right, we've got to just make content. We've got to write, we've got to perform. Was that something you always wanted to do and you finally found the time to do it? Or were you like, oh God, this is just, I'm gonna just give it a go. Like were you pleased that you had the chance to kind of make that kind of content?
1: Oh, not at all. No, I hated it. <laughs> all I want, all I wanted to do is stand up.
0: That's how I feel about ske- and, online uh, sketches. I find it's, my brain doesn't work that way. Yeah, I can't yeah. do it. I, I've I, kind of, I've tried all to right, sit cool. down with a pen and paper and write, Athena, write something, film it and put it up. And I'm like, I, my brain just shuts down. My mm. brain... Breaks down at the thought. So you hated it, but you did it for months.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I had to do something. Because I used to write every day, and then, but then I could jump up at new material nights, or I could throw something new, like a new tag into my set on the weekend or something. Because I was out like six, six or seven nights a week basically, and because um, I really love doing it. And then losing that, I was just aimless, and I had to put that energy somewhere. So if nothing's going on in my life, oh no, no! If nothing's going on in my life, then I can write about what's going on in the world. I, I guess.
0: So I wanna ask I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been anything other than a stand-up?
1: Oh god, yeah. I didn't I didn't start doing stand up until I was twenty-six. Okay,
0: what, what did you do before um,
1: then? Um Before that, I um I I did as many weird things as I could because I always wanted to be a stand-up from when I was like a little kid, like six oh, or seven. Okay, no, no,
0: no, we're gonna lean into that. So what what kind of six year old says I wanna be a stand up? Because that's quite like extraordinary. Normally, they, normally when it's showbiz, they want to be actor or singer, but you wanted to be a, a standup comedian. I
1: just loved it. I always liked being alone when I was a kid, like, and there was there was something about this person. They're all alone on stage, and they're so funny. Like, uh, in Canada, we used to get a half hour of standup every day, like every afternoon from um, the Just for Laughs Festival. And so um, I remember the ones that I loved when I was little were like Lee Evans. Um, John Panette, uh, Billy Connolly, and they would just, I would be, I remember doing that dance, you know when kids have to pee, but they don't want to yeah. And it was like that sort of dance uh, on my feet where I was like, I, if I keep laughing this hard, I'm going to pee myself. So I have to go to the bathroom. But I was like, but I don't want to miss the next joke. And this was obviously, this was, you know, back in the day when you couldn't rewind television. And so if you missed it, you missed it. And that was a wrap. And so that was a constant battle for me. I just, I loved them so much um and then as i got older uh like i remember the first first album that i like streamed on napster was eddie murphy's delirious and my brother and i knew every word to that special and we were like 14 i was 14 he was yeah
0: i feel like delirious and raw are in a lot of comedians kind of backstories like there's a lot of comedian Mm. origin stories that that have Eddie Murphy, Delirious and roaring, And the funny thing, I was watching Delirious the other day with my partner because I was, say, I was saying to him, it's problematic. We, look, um, there's problematic stuff in that. And then he was going, no, there isn't, no, there isn't. And we watched it again. And then we we're like, yeah, actually, there's problematic stuff in <laughs> it. it's really funny. I'm,
1: I'm in a strange place where I, I, I have to fend it according to the time. It's obviously terrible now. But at the time, this was a a, a black comedian saying that he was playing tennis with his gay friend and... They went out and they were hanging out, and then afterwards he's like, I'm gonna go get a beer, you wanna come? And he said, No, I'm gonna go suck some dick. He said, All right, have a good time. That is shockingly like for stand-up in the 80s, that is shockingly progressive. That he's not just hanging out with one, but then when someone says he wants to go and have sex with somebody, he doesn't shame them.
0: I think it's more of the language. I think I I think I'm thinking of a bit with Mr. actually Mr. T it's quite funny, but he talked he there's a there's a specific bit where he talks about catching AIDS, and it's like with what we know now, it's Mm -hmm. like that if I say insensitive. That is not even strong enough for for, for the yeah, word. No, but absolutely. then it was the, the early 80s and um, nobody knew anything. Even, you know, even people who were vulnerable to AIDS didn't know anything because what did anyone know, right? Um, but it's great. I prefer, I prefer yeah. raw, actually, as it happens. And I feel like I'm in a minority. Everyone I oh, speak okay. to says... Raw isn't Very as funny, much. but I don't understand why they say that because it it's, it jokes about having a shit. I mean, nothing is funnier to me. I I lo- it bum and shit jokes still make me laugh. <laughs> Yesterday I tweeted something with the word Uranus in it, and that finished me. I was so happy. I've been dying to make a joke about Uranus <laughs> like for ages on Twitter, and I was so pleased. And I love Pooja. It must be because I'm potty training my daughter, um, and in order to to keep the spirits up, I'm just finding poo funny.
1: Sorry, what's the poo joke on Raw? I can't remember. The, Is that, that's not the GI Joe when Got when Stuck on it? It's he's doing an that...
0: impression of Richard Pryor having a shit. And, <laughs> and he's going... I, by okay. the way, just to clarify, the baby's sleeping now, so I'm okay to swear. Um, that's the rule. Yeah, um, okay. he's doing the impression of Richard Pryor having a poo. And <laughs> I'm not even going to do an impression of it because it will not do it justice. And he's talking about all the different kinds of poo. Like the poo where you, you squeeze for ages and your little one comes out. Or the poo where like you you do it and mm. there's just not enough toilet paper that, to wipe what remains. Um Yeah, it, it's and it's near the beginning. It's mm. it's 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 at the start where he's talking about Bill Cosby and um he's talking to Richard. He's doing an impression of talking to Richard Cosby oh, to Bill, yeah. Richard Pryor about how Bill Cosby doesn't like him and Richard and then he does an impression of Richard Pryor's response. Anyway, mm. I'm making it sound so dry and crap and not funny at all and it's. That's it's a great hilarious. bit. That's a it's, great bit. It's, it's brilliant. And it's got the intro with Samuel L. Jackson yeah. um, in it. Do you remember there's like a little intro to it about a young a young, a I young Eddie Murphy that. in the living room and everyone's like, Eddie, Eddie tell a joke. Um, and he tells a really awful joke. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just when, I think what it was is I watched Raw as a <laughs> child. So if you are like 11 or 12 years old or whatever and you watch that, it's just, even if you don't get the jokes, everything mm. about it is hilarious.
1: Yeah. And his, his imagery and like kids were involved. Um, Yeah, so there's something about what Eddie Murphy did where he, it wasn't like a lot of it was really silly imagery um, that he chose, like in the Goonie Goo sketch, where like she just keeps falling down the stairs forever. That's so funny to everybody. And then he did a lot. He had a lot of kid characters in it, like the, the ice cream sketch, and then him and his brother in the bath. And so I think because he included so many stories from when he was younger it really appealed to me when I was younger as well. Cause it was like, oh, I can actually see myself in this. It's not me trying to understand an adult world. Like this is straight up funny to me. So I, I think that's part of why it was, it was so formative for so many of yeah, us. Yeah,
0: totally. And it felt naughty. It felt naughty. Like oh, yeah. knowing, knowing. Oh, yeah. it. So what did your like family and teachers think when you were like, um, I want to be a up when I'm older. Did they be like, were they
1: like, yeah, whatever? I didn't tell anyone. Oh, brilliant.
0: You just kept it to yourself and then you suddenly became a up. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I I told one girlfriend when I was 20 and until then I'd kept it a secret the whole time. And, um, because like my parents were both like, well, my dad more so, but uh, was really like, like a fiscal conservative and was just like, you're going to go to university. You're going to get a good job. You're going to pay your taxes kind of guy. And, um, and so I was like, I will never tell my father that I want to be creative.
0: You still got to pay your taxes, Chris. Come on. Like I've, I'm, I've got it on good authority. HMRC listens to these podcasts. So you pay your taxes. You just do it in for, after doing creative stuff for a living, which is so,
1: yeah, no, my name's, my name's Joel <laughs> Domet and I pay my taxes.
0: Um, so what, so you, you didn't tell your parents cause you thought they wouldn't approve.
1: I was, I was the first, um, of both families to go to university. So they had like a lot of, uh, pressure on me doing well in school and, and living the life that they worked insanely hard to go through. My dad joined the Navy when he was 15, um, started out as a TV repairman and then worked his way up like American dream style to the top of his company. Uh, not when I was a kid, like by the time I graduated high school, he was suddenly near the top of it. And then my mom was like. Had to give up a full ride scholarship to university because her dad died and she had so she had to work to support her family because she had four other brothers and sisters and then um was like a secretary and was doing her boss's job because her boss was a lazy piece of shit. And um, a company found out and so paid for her to get a university education while she was doing her work. So they just both worked insanely hard for their whole lives, never got a chance to go to university. And they saw the possibility in me, so they just pushed that real hard. And I ended up getting into a great university, um, and I hated it, and I dropped out to do stand-up. So...
0: (laughs) Um, and how do they feel now? Now you're, a st- well, obviously it's locked, you know, we're locked down and our industry is awful, but you've doing amazing. So how do they feel that, that you move into the UK and being a stand-up?
1: It took a while. Uh, my mom knew it was going to happen immediately. Uh, I, when I told her I started doing open mics while I was in um, university, she was like, it's a matter of time. Uh, and then uh, my dad wouldn't mention stand-up for the first time. Two and a half years that I did it. He loves it now. Yeah. Now he's proud of that's it.
0: That's amazing it's amazing. It's annoying when parents make you work for their like love and support. Why can't they just do it anyway? But I'll tell you something, if my kids turned to me and said, mommy, I want to be a stand up, I'd be like, that's good, but get a trade as well you know get a trade as well yeah, yeah. like why well, don't you learn plumbing <laughs> as well whilst you know because overmike during the day during the night to do something during the day with yourself mm-hmm. it's really because of my personal experiences because I was 31 when I started I say this all the time people must be sick of hearing about it but I was 31 and mm-hmm. I'd been working for like I guess a decade really, maybe even longer and I'd done to uni and stuff like mm-hmm. that but like I always say that it was amazing because I could subsidize my comedy career with my job um and the yeah. climb i guess it's a very london centric thing because the climate in london is when you do perform comedy for a long time you don't get paid very well if at all um and so whilst mm. you're doing that it is helpful to have a job um that allows you to kind of live sustainably but then you know as you progress and you have that conflict between like the effort your job is taking from you and the effort stand up is taking you which is definitely something that that impacted me. So you came over, you came over to UK just to do just to be a comedian.
1: Yeah, I'd already lived here twice though. over once when I was nineteen. I had like a base of friends and a job that I could basically walk into because uh, yeah, I moved over once. I lived in Brighton for three years when I was nineteen um, because a friend got me a job at the bar that he was working at, and I hated my hometown. Um, and so I lived there for three years, and I got very good at cocktail bartending. Okay, um, like I was I was named. Uh, uh best cocktail bartender i've got a so, somewhere in <laughs> somewhere in my parents house there's a silver platter with my name engraved on what's your favorite cocktail um the negroni i love a negroni so, so, oh
0: so i love because i love bitter kind of cleansing palate cleansing taste. and negroni is just yeah. like really refreshing i can't stand those i can't stand cocktails that are like, like smoothies like really sugary and sweet yeah no
1: no those are those are great when you're 19 and you're out with all your friends whatever but if I'm, if I'm sitting with my friends, if I'm hanging out with Athena and I'm, <laughs> I am I want to have a nice night, I want something that's not going to make me have to, I don't know. Just I don't want something that's going to give me energy. I want something that keeps me chill. So I want like a Negroni or an old-fashioned or, um, yeah, Manhattans, mostly classics. There are, there are very few new cocktails that I found that I really love. Oh, okay. You're an um, old school. You're a traditionalist. You're a traditionalist. Yeah. Well, they're so simple. They're built around the booze, whereas like so many new cocktails, like the fruity ones are about hiding it. Did you find yourself becoming a mixologist? I I was technically a mixologist, though I would never have used that. No, word.
0: No, what's wrong with the word mix- mixologist? I love it. It's because I don't know anything about cocktail making, so I always like to acknowledge expertise where I don't have it. So it sounds like if you're a mixologist, you're an expert in in booze, which sounds great.
1: But that's yeah, that's the that's the problem with it is that's what it, that's what it sounds like, and so the only people that use that word in sort of the cocktail world are like the same com are the same people who in comedy like self refer as dark comics
0: <laughs> edgy, or edgy comics is well anyone that tells you is edgy yeah, is yeah, never so
1: edgy yeah so any any bartender that said they're a mixologist is either like brand new and trying to sound like more important than they are or is an asshole I
0: hope you've been enjoying this episode so far we have more of Chris after this brief message lively laughs is back remember back in 2019 we raised the money for a pan-african library in Ghana that centers African stories history and academia in the heart of Accra it provides outreach to kids who wouldn't otherwise have had access to this kind of education it is a brilliant resource it's a project that's close to my heart and we're going to raise some money for it just how can you help buy a ticket it'll be on Friday the 26th of February it'll be an hour of online comedy we've got an amazing lineup we've got Nabil Abdul Rashid he tore up Britain's Got Talent last year he got to the final three he was Alicia Dixon's golden buzzer and he generated three thousand off-com complaints come see what he's got to say we've got Ella Al-Shamaha you know her off of the BBC she hosts documentaries you know her off Channel 4 she hosts documentaries you know her from TED Talks and she's a National Geographic Explorer she's gonna do a micro edition of keeping in the company on the night we've got Michelle Swart she's a brilliant comedian and an actor you can see her in the Duchess that is currently on Netflix but she's gonna do comedy for us on The night. Uh, We've got Do the Right scene, who I'm a part of. We've been in The Guardian, we've been in Time Out, and we do wonderful, fast paced high energy improv and we're, we can't wait to perform for you and we've got a brilliant stand up called Mary O'Connell she was in the funny Women awards uh, finals last year she's brilliant she's hilarious she's giving us her time too so what are you waiting for tickets are on ticketsource.co.uk forward slash lively laughs the link is also in the description of this podcast the link is also available in the biography section of my social media feeds and I've been talking about it on my social media feeds a lot too so look for lively laughs it'll be brilliant um, look it's a cause that's right up my street if you like this podcast it's probably up your street too so i'll see you there let's get back to chris did you whilst you were a mixologist did you were you still thinking about stand-up or did you put it on hold because you were enjoying the job so much
1: i was definitely thinking about stand-up but i i noticed as i got older like through my teens and my early 20s the stand-ups that i loved had already lived lives so they had a (laughs) bunch of crazy stories from things that they did and so i did i did that i wanted to wait until I'd seen enough of life to have something worth saying once I got Well,
0: did, did you find yourself, as you were deliberately living then to tr- become a comedian, did you find yourself having having things happen to you and thinking to yourself, oh, that's really funny, I need to write it down?
1: What, it was more um, that I would chase things. I would say yes to things that I shouldn't say yes to, just because I was like, well, that sounds like life to me. So, okay, let's <laughs> so
0: let's let's talk about that. What kind of things do you say yes to that you shouldn't have? that you can share on this podcast.
1: Oh, just like, um, um, I sold, I sold shoes on the black market in Nice for a little while with this Tunisian guy that I met at a hostel.
0: Um, that's quite, yeah, there's, you get a lot of that in Barcelona. You get a lot of guys mainly from like, um, sub-Saharan Africa and they walk around with these big sacks of trainers and they put, they lay them all out and mm-hmm. then the police come and have to pack them all up again. Is that what you did? Is that like exact-
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what that's I did.
0: wild. That's <laughs> I'll tell you what That's wild because you are a straight white man. That doesn't sound like that sounds like you going fuck this. I want to <laughs> I don't want to live like this. I want to I want to ha- I want to strip off this privilege because that's like, that's very much the, the job. Well, I guess you were an immigrant, obviously. But that's generally the, mm. uh, the, the kind of the realm of the economic migrant who was just like trying to get by. Um, but you thought, bucket it's it's available how did you get into doing that that sounds like I don't because even if I wanted to I don't know how to apply for that job
1: yeah there's yeah there's not a uh, they don't put up Craigslist ads it was uh it's not on LinkedIn uh I um well I like part of the, the the stripping away the privilege thing one other thing that I noticed is the people that I really looked up to when I was a teenager um none of them came from privilege none of them had easy lives yeah. um and so I was like all right, well, I guess if you want to be someone that like, because all like, I always wanted to be someone that I would have admired when I was a kid. That was my goal as like a person. And so I was like, all right, well, it looks like if I take the easy road, I'll probably end up being one of these assholes. So let's just make things more difficult. So I'd show up in cities without any plans just to try and see what I could do. Um, and I ended up homeless a couple times for a little while. And that was my fault, but I learned from it. And never for long, because I was still a straight white guy it was charming. And so people gave me jobs eventually. Um, and I think that safety net helped me take a lot more risks than I would have otherwise. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, so the the way that I met this at this guy was I showed up in Nice in the off season when no one is there because I need, I needed some work. I just tried to get work on a whim in the Alps. And had to spend four days in a bus station because I couldn't afford to leave or go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> that sounds horrifying.
0: That, I mean, that sounds like a personal nightmare for me. I can't imagine. Especially whenever, you, know, have you ever, in comedy, you, have, you must have had to burn up an evening at some point because you missed the last train. You've got to wait till the next day. Mm. I swear to God, no, nothing is longer than having that. Those hours felt like a month when I've had to do it. I've only done that maybe twice. And those hours felt like a month. And you did it for four days in the Alps.
1: Yeah, it was awful. Everyone else was like on a uh, literally having the time of their lives because they were on vacation in the <laughs> Alps and they were like clearly doing well financially because they're on vacation with their family in the Alps and everything. So it was like I was sitting on my sleeping bag, not asking for money or anything, and I was reading books about depressed people. I was reading a book called Heavier Than Heaven about Kurt Cobain <laughs> and uh <laughs> and, and then eventually I remember I was on like a shuttle um, bus that was free that took me into the um, the uh, resort part because I was trying to find a job as like a dishwasher or something. But I came right at the end of the season because I'm an idiot and I didn't look ahead. So no one was hiring. And I remember I, I gave my seat to this girl um, and she was like, oh, thank you. And then we, we started talking and her and her friend said, we saw you in the bus station a couple of days ago and you were the saddest person we've ever seen. <laughs>
0: And I guess you would have been because you were in the bus <laughs> station with no money.
1: I've, I really was. And they, uh, they took me in sort of. They were like, listen, like, come over to our place. We'll make you some food. Um, uh, they didn't let me sleep over. And they were like, I'm sure you understand why. And I was like, I absolutely understand why. Um, but that sort of like show of humanity gave me the sort of oomph to be like, okay, I can scramble together the last few years I have and get to Nice because I'm pretty sure I can work there because spring is starting. And so that's what I did. So it was like that little boost got me out of the station.
0: It sounds like you lived your life like how people, they make reality. You know, there's like reality TV shows now where they just put people on a plane with no money and they say, get to point X and film the journey. It feels like you just did that and mm-hmm. that was your life. Um, like The Amazing Race. Did you watch it? I never watched it, but I heard about it and it was like they just sent people away to travel around the world with no money and they filmed it. Um it sounds like you you kind of you yeah. kind of did
1: that yourself. Yeah, kinda. I try I tried to. I was um I was very much when I was younger, I was a uh, uh, whoever has the most stories at the end wins.
0: I feel like you'd write a really good memoir. Uh,
1: kind of guy. you
0: write like, this this it's, it feels like everything that led you up to this point sounds like because my life has been like pretty pedestrian compared to yours. Like from what I'm hearing, like my memoir would be kind of shit. Just like some it's a middle class crap. My memoir would just be like, oh, she found out there were different kinds of olive oils and her life was changed at the end um that's literally my life um but you you just wandered around did you wander around the what did you stay in europe did you travel to america or south america
1: um i lived in a buddhist monastery in thailand for a while (laughs) see um it was like i could never predicted that i couldn't
0: okay let's talk about the buddhist monastery in thailand (laughs) to what end first of all what made you think let me go to this monastery
1: what's the what was the end goal A friend of mine who is now a human rights lawyer um, was working at a refugee camp in Thailand for Burmese refugees. And she sent me a message saying that while she was working, uh, some monks who had their own uh, sort of refugee camp up the road uh, asked if she knew anyone that might want to do the work with them as well. And she thought of me immediately. And so she sent me a message. And so uh, my girlfriend at the time and I packed up and we just headed out to Thailand. And we lived there and it was um, we taught English and a little bit of computer skills. And what it was, was the monastery had like, so Burma is, or Myanmar is a nightmare. Um, And so what happened is the villages uh, in sort of the Shan and Kachin district, and another one that I can't believe I'm forgetting right now, um, the junta went in, killed everybody, uh, except for the kids, and just sent the kids out in the woods and were like, good luck. And so what the um, monks would do is if the kids were technically novices, uh, so like trainee monks, right? Uh, Then they were allowed... Uh, support that the government wouldn't otherwise give them uh, books, shelter, things like that. So they would just take in as many kids as they could. They would get support that they wouldn't get otherwise as refugees. So they would get uh, education and food and uh, shelter and all these things. And the monks were remarkable. because I remember talking to them while I was there and they said, I was like, so are all these kids going to be monks? And they were like, no, two of these kids are going to be monks. The rest of them just needed a place to be while they grew up and they taught them. um, They ran an organic farm there. Uh, The kids built mud huts on it. So they got construction skills, we taught them computer skills, we taught them basic English. Um, And so yeah, so I lived there for like, two, three months or something. um, And taught these kids, and then they taught me some Thai. And it was it was amazing. I really, really loved it. We were right on the Burma border, we went in once for a day. And I found out because we went to the market. um, I found out later, that one of the monks who was teaching me Kung Fu while I was there, I got Kung Fu lessons from a Buddhist monk. It was awesome. Wow. (laughs) Um, um, uh, one of the monks had apparently been sort of doing rounds around us because there are a ton of pickpockets in the market. And so every time one was about to pickpocket uh, uh, me or my friend, um, which we never noticed he would just show up like a superhero and just shake his head at these kids. And they'd be like, all right, fair enough. You're with the monks.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds like the They're like your entourage.
1: Yeah. 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 They were, uh, uh there are our, our local guides, keeping us safe. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, being there was amazing and, um, it was really, really hard to leave. But the only, the only reason I did leave was because I was going to university and I had to move to Montreal. Um, to do that. Otherwise, I would have stayed for a lot longer. The girl that I went with actually ended up staying for two years.
0: Oh, wow. That's, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Especially because you were in a relationship. Was she...
1: <laughs> well, um, sort of. We sort of broke so... up before we left and stayed okay. friends. And then, um, yeah, <laughs> but we're still good friends. We're great I'm friends. I'm not surprised. Together, it's
0: a formative. But... It's a formative experience. So have you ever kind of jumped on a plane mm-hmm. and gone somewhere on this quest to kind of just live life and be open to experiences and regretted it? Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is
1: awful. No. But, like, there were parts of it, but never overall. I never look back and go, I shouldn't have done that one. Like, yeah. when I first moved to, I moved to Ireland for a while on a whim because I, I went out there to hang out with some guys that I'd met when I was a janitor in France. And um, they <laughs> were cool Sorry. there.
0: When you were a janitor in France, was this oh, no this was, was in,
1: This was in anglette and it was um, which is like a small little surf town next to Biarritz um, in Basque country. And I was a I was a janitor at a surf hostel on the beach, which was the best summer I've ever had. And I was 18, which is too young to peak. But what a summer. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, met, I met some Irish guys there and they said uh, they were like, come out to Cork. We'll have a great time. But I met like vacation them. And then turns out like real them wasn't as cool or fun. And so I didn't hang out with them. And so I was sort of alone. I didn't have any money. And uh, I remember at one point I had 14 euros to my name and that wasn't enough for a night in a hostel. And for some reason I bought a CD. Because <laughs> like,
0: that, that, they so used to cost. a CD. What was the CD?
1: What was the CD? Was it worth it? It wasn't even a good CD. It was a band that I was taking a risk on. <laughs> oh, you've never even heard of them. Like, um, I wasn't a fan of theirs. No. I'd heard one song by them. They're called the Union Underground and they're a terrible <laughs> heavy metal band.
0: Um, okay, brilliant. So, what, what after you spent your last fourteen euros on a CD by a band you never met, I guess you are sleeping under the stars that night,
1: right? Well, I was going to, and I was just—I remember I was sitting on a bridge because I thought, where do homeless people sit? Like, where do you go? And I was like, a bridge seems logical. And so I was just hanging out, just reading again, like I was in the bus stop. And uh, uh, this guy came up to me, and this is again, this is this is that safety net of uh, of being a, a straight white guy that I was talking about, where a guy just came up to me and he's like, "What are you doing?". So I was 18 and I was like, and I explained what I'd done. I showed him the CD and he was like, listen, you seem like an all right kid. Here's 20 euros. Go get a place to sleep tonight. And, um, and so I went into the hostel, um, and I stayed there that night and then they gave me a job, um, where they couldn't pay me, but they were doing renovations. And so I did demolition for them. I just swung a sledgehammer for a few days and moved rubble. And in between that, I harassed the local HMV into giving me a job. I went there two times a day, every day for 10 days until they finally hired me. Uh, and then I had an amazing time in Cork because I worked in a record store and I met a bunch of cool people. Uh, so like, I don't regret that, but the first first couple of weeks were like rough.
0: Well, it's like, as a first of all, it's amazing how well you can get treated, you know, obviously being straight white guy, which I know you know, but the second of all it's I always talk about passport privilege. like if you come from a certain place, just having that passport can open your life up, to experiences So I have British passport experience privilege. Like I can go anywhere I mm. want and I can just land um, and yep. I can live and I can work um, and I have that freedom. And that obviously Canadian passports is like, I like that and American passports are like that. And it's just phenomenal. Like what, what we can do and we don't even realize and it, that's why Brexit was a real shame. Mm. Not that I want to talk about Brexit, because it's like, why would you want to eliminate any of this privilege? We have to go wherever we want, whenever we like, why would you want to even take away a percentage of that? It was a very, a very strange thing. And that's what you've done.
1: I don't think they thought about that. Let's not get into Brexit too heavy, but I just want to, <laughs> um, they hated the idea of people coming to them. But I think that the, the British psyche is so arrogant that they thought that it, everyone else would still let them in. Really? And because when you look at the people that are in Spain and that are like, oh, what do you mean we have to leave? It's like you voted leave, so you have to leave. It's not just them that has to leave. Everyone has to leave. It's not, you're not like the cool friend that gets to stay after at the house party after they kicked everyone else out and you drink in the kitchen until four in the morning. Everyone's got to go. The cops showed up, jump over the fence, get out of here.
0: Britain is David Brent from the office like does and has no yes. idea that everyone we have no idea everyone hates us because we're in the center of the, the maps and the line go because you know everybody's time zone is relative to our time zone we think we're cool that's the least cool thing ever like no one cares mm. <laughs> no one no, oh yeah. sorry he's woken up like no one cares um it's but your
1: just, baby
0: cares your baby <laughs> does care <laughs> the baby cares he, he, he's like excuse me <laughs> there's only one thing he cares about and he's now getting it so that's fine um well yes with david brent we think everyone loves us. We think everyone loves our dancing. No one likes our dancing. We think everyone likes our music because of um, um, the Spice Girls. <laughs> like, it's not, and it's not true. And, that, that's, and that's the real shame about Brexit. Anyway, I'm just thinking about you wandering around the world trying to find yourself and thinking how lovely that you, you took that, mm. those opportunities that you have. Because, and also, it's my, my regret I, is not doing that in my 20s because I can't do it now. I really regret kind of being so rooted mm, in my 20s, to kind of work and taxes
1: I was so lucky because I remember when, um, my, my parents basically said, they were like, listen, when you graduate, you have three options. Um, you can work, you can go to university or you can travel. You're not doing nothing. And, um, and I was like, well, travel then. Obviously if that's, if those are the only three options, why would I do anything else? And then when I decided that, um, (coughs) excuse me, um, a lot of like, people at my work, uh, like managers at the store that I worked at and, uh, friends of my parents all to a person said, I really wish that I'd done what you're about to do because I can't do it now. And that made me like sure that I was right.
0: So do you, you're based in the UK now, do you think, do you see yourself as someone who's still traveling or do you think you're settled here for good now?
1: Oh, no, I'm going to I'm going um, to pull Mike Wilmot and I'm going to I'm going to settle in Canada and then come over for a few months of the year <laughs> and uh, and travel around. It's uh, uh yeah, I don't um, I've been here for longer than I planned on being. I planned on coming for five years because I came here as like a a, a work experience trip. Basically, I was I'd been doing stand up for three years in Canada and I got to the point where I was like, I'm there's no one here that I really want to be. And so I'm not getting better because I'm not feeling competitive. And uh, and so I was like, I'll go over to the UK because the comics there are great. And so I decided I'd come here for five years, become a full-time comedian, learn what I could, and then I wanted to move to New York. Um, and I've been here for eight years now. Um, and I probably would have stayed a little longer, but now with COVID and everything, um, I'm ready to to spend some time in Canada and gig out there and then come over here for a few months of the year, go down to New York if I can um because yeah i need i need something different i've never lived anywhere as long as this and with the other three times that i've lived here i've lived here almost 12 years
0: yeah that's a long time to be in the uk and also this is a good time to leave the uk i won't lie like it's Mm. kind of i see it falling apart not um just intellectually i'm seeing it fall Mm. apart like it's just the the level of, of of discourse at the moment public public discourse is just dire um and I'm not sure I'm not sure why it is I think it's because politically people progressive people don't know how to be convincing and so they're afraid of saying the right thing because if that makes sense so there's not a huge Mm -hmm. amount out there that we can look at and say oh that's good so there's nothing to counteract the bad if that makes sense or there's very little to counteract the bad and then when there is something that does counteract the bad it's attached to kind of a very kind of specific politics for example so like with Jeremy Corbyn he was quite I actually think he was quite a sensible mm. guy but in order to support him you had to be a socialist and if you're not mm. a socialist that was a problem right yeah. so it was um so that it was like well fine I'll personally vote for him even though I'm not wholly really on board of this lots of people were like I'm not on board of it at all um and that was a real shame and now he's gone there's the, a real vacuum of common sense and decency yeah. <laughs> a real vacuum, like it's just a big black hole, and it's not nothing. Yeah. And it's and we're gasping for someone to just kind of be on that kind of platform and just offer a kind of like a voice of reason, and it's not there. You could be that guy, but you're leaving, so that's a shame.
1: <laughs> Very kind. I'd I'd bet more on you being it. Uh, there's a uh, it's I think of all the people, and I mean we're we're in the comedy world, and so we know a lot of like smart, interesting people. But the only ones um, that I would trust as leaders that I've met are uh, like you. Olá, uh, uh maybe dame but they're all black comments
0: <laughs> yeah so we got we we have no chance like you you got to put your put your put your chips on people who actually have a chance or even like um, yeah. getting anywhere anywhere close to to power it's not it's not going to it's yeah. not going to happen sadly we're not very good in this country on the left at kind of being cool around people who aren't white People kind of lose their minds a little bit. They either they either elevate you into think being things that you're not. So everyone said Chuka Umunna was was Obama. He was not Obama, <laughs> like, mm. quite clearly. Mm-mm. Or what they do is they kind of they kind of patronize you and they they find they find your presence threatening. So for example, all that drama that the Labour Party had when they were slagging off people like Diane Abbott and Clive Lewis. Who were sensible people, and um, possibly yeah. because you know possibly because they they support Jeremy Corbyn. But it's more likely that they couldn't they just couldn't imagine people like them being having any kind of authority it's a very there's a very strange country to yeah. to be in um it's it's very it's very odd it, what will you miss the most if you ever make it out of here if they ever let us leave the country um
1: if i if i can just address the left right thing I, I wanted to get get your thoughts on a theory that i've been working on yeah go on. which is there's there's something about um i think that the right maintains its ranks because they have a shared desire for power yes um but the left doesn't have a unifying story, which is so frustrating because like most of the creative people are on the left side. And so it's like the fact that no one has been able to create that origin story or that narrative of this is, this is what we're working for. And so we're going to work together beyond our petty differences, which is like what the right is. Like when you look at the conspiracy theorists versus the fiscal conservatives, but social liberals versus the the old school money uh, nepotism guys, they all want different things, but mostly what they want is a share of power. And so they all work around that, whereas the left doesn't have that unifying, like wanting to help everyone isn't strong enough. It's not as strong as personal gain uh, as a as a unifier. Um, and I think I think it's crazy that we haven't been able to find that um, origin story considering how creative not just like the creative people are but when you look at our economists they're having to battle 40 years of hard right-wing trickle-down economic nonsense um, and find interesting new ways of, of combating that and and shaping it away so that people who are like neocons will see the value in it um, in the way that teachers are approaching things like there's so much creativity on the left because it's about building something new and better and um, Th- that it's insane to me that we haven't been able to do that, but I do think that the lack of that unifying story is our problem.
0: I massively, I massively agree, and I'll expand on that as well by saying that only do the right have a have a kind of a shared story. What that does is it pushes them to enjoy power, whichever part of the right has it. So yeah. when court, when when Cameron was in power with his kind of friendly conservatism, with his big society crap, and I'm a friendly conservative, I'm really nice. The the Brexiteers and the hard right people were like. This is cool. 2010, they were like, we can live with this. This is fine. They weren't having a go at him. Mm-hmm. They weren't, I mean, they were from the back benches, but they were because they really, really wanted the referendum so badly. Um, and they didn't get it the first time, mm-hmm. time around. Obviously, they got it in 20, 2015, 2016. But they were like, We can live with this. In on the left, every individual pocket only wants to see their version of left wing in power. So when it's mm. centrist with the with the mic, they only wanna talk about centrism. When it's kind of like the socialists with the mic, they only wanna talk about socialism. When it's um, other people, they do talk about them. And it's like, we well, you know what good looks like? Power. Good looks like getting elected. That's the yeah. most important thing. It, there is nothing more important than winning elections in a country which has the first-past-the-post, two-party politics. There's nothing more important. So therefore, the only thing you can do you know when you somebody when someone is 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 holding a mic is to listen to them and do what it takes for them to win and then once they've won guess what you have got five years to fuck it all up you can you can trash talk them the whole yeah. time <laughs> and that was what was really frustrating over the past few years you know with, with kind of the labor project it wasn't i i i have decided that people were so angry with Jeremy Corbyn's lack of support for remain they couldn't imagine him leading the Labour Party and being prime minister they were so bitter about what they felt was his contribution to losing the well not to losing the Brexit vote they they were like we'll, we'll never okay. support this man and I th- could understand that initially you know what I mean like he was hor- he was horrible he yeah. campaigned horribly during the remain uh during the um during the referendum and I can totally understand the PLP the the parliamentary Labour Party going this guy cannot lead us. If he can't lead us during a referendum like this, then he can't lead us into um, into kind of power. And I think that's what they meant when they meant he was unelectable. But they tried too hard to get rid of him. They tried twice. I don't know if you remember this. They tried twice to get rid of him and then they never yeah. got on board. They never got over it. And they should have gotten over yeah. it. And it just it pains me. And now they've got Keir Starmer, who is... They're, you know they they're probably they're probably ecstatic he got elected he's the opposite of Corbyn but now all the people who remember how they were treated are treating Keir Starmer the same and it's a nightmare for me they just need to just need to, they just need to just focus on the prize which is power that's the only prize that matters and then once you get power then you can have a uh, conversation about the kind of way you want to wield it. Um, but it's difficult and also the other thing about the right is people when when the right is exposed as being cruel mm. and uncaring people know the right is cruel yeah, it's not and a uncaring. surprise anymore so it doesn't it's like who cares right so um it doesn't really lose you points mm. you know like today um there was some news that came out matt hancock broke some laws when um when handing out some contracts people expect people on the right to break laws and handing that contracts. Mm. So nobody's blinking, no one's, why would you bat an eyelid at that? You'd be like, yeah, sounds like the Conservatives. So I think the, on the left, we're always trying to beat the Conservatives with a stick that is completely ineffective. It doesn't do them any, any damage. It's yeah. no. There's no point in dwelling on their bad behaviour because their bad behaviour is expected. Anything you need to dwell on is the vision of the future and what it might look like if they weren't in power. And we've never really mm. nailed that, or well, we haven't nailed that in a long time. It's very frustrating. Well, and that's why it's a good also, time for you to go yeah. back to who came from, Chris.
1: I'll say that. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, uh, I am looking forward to going back to Canada. I was there last year for three months, and I had so much fun. And um, it was—I mean, we've got our share. Canada's a right-wing country for sure, but um, but it's still like nice. <laughs> it's just. Which part of Canada are you from? I'm from Vancouver. Well, just outside.
0: You're from Vancouver? Yeah. Okay. I didn't. Why did I not know that? Um, but you, you went—you went to university of Montreal. Do You yeah, speak fluently. French. Oh, we speak French fluently. Hence. So you spending all that time Indeed. in France, which another, which is another thing that I didn't know. See, this is how bad I am at chat. I'm only getting to the good stuff right at the end <laughs> of this conversation. I, know, I think we and, covered um, some good bases. I think we we've, we've covered some good spaces, but I didn't know because I'm learning French. I'm, they asked me to speak French, but I'm on like 260 days on Duolingo non-stop. Nice, um, which I'm very proud of. Um, I can't speak French, but I'm really good at Duolingo. I'm great at it actually, um, but I just can't <laughs> speak the language. Do you feel homesick?
1: Uh no uh, I never have uh, because I love being on the move so much that I I've never been like oh I wish I was back home in the comfort thing I, I sort of want I crave the challenge of a new place uh, mostly and I'll I'll feel that absence more than I'll feel the comfort of home uh, oh yeah which is
0: like it's, it's
1: infuriating it's no way to live I don't recommend it I mean I'm having a great time but <laughs> god damn it <laughs> it's like you got no pension. Got, you got I, no pension, yeah, right? I, like, I traded off uh, financial security for living exactly the life that I want to live, and my poor wife is on for the ride.
0: I, that sounds like that sounds thrilling to me. I live with a lawyer. Yeah.
1: You're, you're, you're um, going to have a great time, and you'll have vacations. Like we don't get vacations. That's the
0: <laughs> your life is a holiday. That's how it works. Your life is a holiday. That's how you don't need holidays when your is a holiday. Um, Chris it's been brilliant I'm going to wrap this up purely because if I don't we're going to talk for like forever and this will be a nightmare to edit and I don't have time to edit Absolutely. I've got kids you know what I mean? so I've got, to, I've got to keep the podcast <laughs> short um but what I was going to say right normally um people come around to my house and I make them nice coffee and we eat plantain and we chat obviously we can't do that but you get a plantain yes. voucher this is a, 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 everyone gets a plantain voucher. Uh, that comes to my podcast remotely and that can be redeemed at any time. Okay. So whenever you feel like plantain, just send me a text or an email, I'll send you my address, come round and redeem your voucher. There are no terms and conditions at all. None at all. Amazing. Just come round with a voucher. Um and it's so it, and it's a verbal voucher. Just just tell me remind me that I told you you've got a voucher. Nice. I haven't got time to make a little bit yeah. voucher <laughs> paper and send it to you. I'm gonna... shoot, but who can be I could it's, write it on a post it post-it note, I guess, but then why?
1: I'd lose it, and then you'd be like, ah, "No voucher, no plantain." Sorry, big guy. <laughs> All
0: right, so put that on your to-do list before you go. And it's—I feel—I feel really sad now because are you genuinely—you're genuinely leaving the UK? Like once—once once you get vaccinated and they let you on planes and stuff.
1: Yeah, for a while. I mean, it's also like my dad's got health stuff, so I want to go and visit him because I haven't been able to see him in a year and a bit. And um, uh, uh, also. Like I have an Irish passport and my wife is um Dutch and so there's Brexit reasons and uh so yeah, there's a bunch of reasons. But uh, but I'll be back a lot. I'll be back pretty regularly. We'll probably see each other more often because I'll be visiting <laughs> than we did when I lived. Here.
0: Yeah. And I swear this is even though I said it's really hard to travel now, one of the things I mean i half saying when lockdown's over, as much as we love the planet and sustainability, we're getting on planes. Mm-hmm. And I've got family in Vancouver. Oh um, nice. I've got my cousin and from vancouver yes which is why i was quite excited to hear that you you you're from vancouver um and we we're just getting on planes and traveling now because we can both work remotely um as we've Mm. shown like through lockdown like i've been doing those work remotely he has and it's like life is short especially when it comes to going places and seeing people and having experiences and my only regret about that is like i said is planes are horrible for the environment like horrible Mm. but humans are great and you get to see lots of humans when you get on planes and get off them again and travel and it's yes. something I didn't yeah. do enough of. So I want to catch up. I want to make up for lost time. Um, yeah. Chris, my only regret is that I haven't seen you today and I hope to see you before you leave. I hope, I hope it happens. Um,
1: yeah, it me too. Saturday, this was great.
0: It was. it was so nice talk to you, Especially because you can make the Grimli's. Like, you can make the gronies. Yeah. Of course, I'm incentivized to come find you <laughs> before you leave.
1: Yeah, I made them, I made them during lockdown.
0: <laughs> I bet you did. What else you got to do, right? Like, I'd have made, if I if I wasn't knocked up, I'd have been making them myself. Um, well, I wouldn't have been. i didn't been buying cans for Marks and Spencer's and drinking those. What do you think about those hotel those cans? Outrageous. <laughs> i like i like them anything, outrageous anything you can drink on a train is fine by me like anything that you can discreetly drink on public transport it, works fine with me uh
1: you get you get a pass with the cans for uh uh trains and parks but if you're at your house man just you know, just buy the ingredients it's three shots you just pour it over ice it's the easiest drink in the world to make there's nothing you need to do chris
0: thank you for coming to keep my company thanks and for me.
1: having me it's been awesome i really enjoyed this
0: That was the fantastic Chris Betts. A comedian's comedians, a real lover of the craft, and a hilarious man. Genuinely, one of the comedians I first met when I was starting out, who I would watch perform, and I would think, oh, that's what a comedian does. Like, that's how it works. Uh, So he's fantastic. I'm so pleased he found the time to do the podcast. Check out his podcast too. It's called Chris Betts versus the Audience. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a live show, but now he's doing it as a podcast as well. Um, You should definitely look for Chris Betts and look for Chris Betts versus the Audience. It is a delight. Um, guys, that was the end of this episode. Thank you so much for... For listening don't forget if you are listening to this podcast as it is released there's a great show on friday the 26th of february you can jump in on it's online it's an hour of your evening it's a wonderful cause it's affordable i think and it will be hilarious so library laughs check it out um if you've enjoyed this podcast you can like it you can comment on it you can share it do what you normally do with podcasts that you like my name is athena Cavenu. find me on twitter and instagram and places like that and thank you for listening we'll catch up next time